Brent, why don't you come on up here? So let's give him a welcome. So you're over here, I'm over here. Okay. So yeah, Brent and, Brent and I are both relatively old, so I'm sure it was hard for us to step up here. For <laughs> um, uh, Brent um, Sweeney and his wife, Carolyn. Carolyn, why don't you stand up? Why don't you stand up? They just joined us here. Um, if, if you're wondering why he has a coat and tie or he's tie on, he's uh, just came back from their Mormon service, all right? So uh, just starting off with this uh, simple question. What brought you guys to Bloomington? That's what we like to ask you. What brought you to Bloomington? Why'd you get here? I have to remember to use this. Um, I came here as a, I grew up in California. I came here as a graduate student 41 years ago before almost all of you were born <laughs> um, in English. Um, and I was fortunate to be able to get a job and stay because I think Bloomington's a great place to live. So we're raised our, raised, our, raised our kids here. You yeah. work for the university. I work for IU. I work at UITS. Probably any of you who are connected with IU either love or hate UITS. <laughs> um, I work in the network area. We, a long time ago, I worked on the campus network stuff. Um, and then about almost 30 years ago, my boss asked me to connect IU to this weird thing called the ARPANET, which became the internet. Um, so I connected IU to the internet a long time ago. Okay. So, and then also, uh, you had a, you've had a volunteer role in your church as a bishop, mm -hmm. which is a volunteer role, and you're a Mormon, um, mm -hmm. and I think I put it up there correctly, the official title is, you are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's your official title of yes. the church. Yes. So if somebody asks you, and they don't know, hey, what, what's a Mormon? What do you say? Give us your, you know, one-minute answer. What, what is it, what's the Mormon? What does that mean? Well, what do you say? Depends on what we want to do. But, um, the, the, the name Mormon comes, as probably most of you know by now, from a book of scripture that we believe in along with the Bible called the Book of Mormon. It's um, a relatively modern, well, it, it, the story it tells is ancient, but it was um, translated brought to a prophet named Joseph Smith in the early 1800s. And he translated the book and learned that it was scriptural and that it goes with the Bible. Um, so we believe that the Bible isn't the only book of scripture. And I'm taking longer than a minute, I'm no, sorry. But that's just on the first part of the question. Um, it's a long elevator ride, so you got time. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so, so Mormons believe um, that Jesus restored his church in the latter days. That's why the, that part of the name of the, the latter church days is meaning there. The, the time frame of when the, the time frame we live in today, okay. more or less. And that it's the, we believe it's the, the same as the primitive church of Jesus Christ in his time. And when you say primitive, the, the, the early church, yeah. the biblical era church. Mm -hmm. okay. So um, we believe that it's a restored church. Um, we have a at the head of the church of prophet and apostles, like we believe Jesus had in his time, um, and priesthood. Um, you know, we believe that, um, I think as you do in the, you know, kind of the centrality of Jesus, we, we accept all of, the, all of the Bible too. We believe that, they are, that it and the Book of Worm are consistent with each other, that they complement each other. Um, and we believe that, you know, the, I think the reason that the, that the church is called the Church of Jesus Christ is because we believe that, that that's 
the most important question that any of us need to answer um, is what do we believe about Jesus? And, and, and I believe that the answer is that, you know, that he is the son of God, that we need to accept him and believe him and follow him, that we need to be disciples of Jesus Christ and figure out what that means well, for it's us it's individually, which leads into I your other question. I, I appreciate when I drive down uh, 2nd Street mm -hmm. toward the mall is where you, th th the church you go to, that one there. Yeah. Uh, there, you're on your church signboard, whatever you call it. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the biggest font. So yeah. I drive by that and I always think I appreciate that. Yeah, I do so, too. Yeah. Um, so now you, you were born a Mormon uh, or no? My father's a Methodist and my mom's a Mormon. So we kind of you're so you're born a meta Mormon, yeah, or whatever, or a, a Mormonist, Mormonist, yeah, um, or something. So, um, at what point did you say I'm a Mormon? Uh, when I was a teenager, really, I think. Um, because I went to both, and um, I'm sure part of it was part of the part of the influence of my mom, but um, it just felt right. Okay, okay, so. I told you to ask a couple questions. One is, uh, which, what is the good life? How do you become a good person? According to your understanding of, in your case, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, your tradition, what, how does somebody become a good person? That's, that's what we all want to know, I hope. Um, gosh. I think, you know, it, to my mind, and I'm answering, answering it myself, really, it's for myself, I think, I think, what I would like to be, if I could call myself a success, part of it would be, there'd be a lot of hearts, but part of it would be that I felt like I knew what God wanted me to do and I was doing it. You know, I talked about trying to be a disciple a minute ago and I think, for me at least, I think the notion of discipleship is really important. Um, to try and, to try and kind of give my will to the Lord and to, and to say, okay, here I am. I've got talents and abilities that you've given me. And what do you want me to do? Um, and, and, and then how do you like? How do you become that kind of person? A certain spiritual habits. Well, yeah, okay. traditions in the Mormon Church. Like, how does that happen? You know, a lot of our habits are probably the same. You know, we pray and we read the scriptures and we and we ponder the scriptures and we think about what's in them and and, and we. And, and I think it's kind of like an onion sometimes, you know, you get layers and, and you read, you know, you talked about, about reading the scriptures again and, and you do find new things when you read them again. It speaks to you sometimes in a different way because of the influence of the spirit and because of our own understanding and our experiences, all of those kinds of things. And so I think it's, it, it is important to, to, to read them and, a, again and again and think about what is this, what, what do I, what should I, do about it. When I was teaching, I would, I would this, one of the questions I would ask my students is, so what? And, and you're saying you teaching in the Mormon church. No, I was thinking about English, actually. Oh, I, oh teaching English, English, okay. Should I use? Boring, okay. <laughs> no, no. You'd ask, um, so what? But, but, but any lesson yeah. when you teach, I think, you know, you talk about some principle or some idea. And I think, you know, you need to ask yourself, so what? So what does this mean? So what? Okay. What should I do about it? What is it, what am I supposed to do with this? And, um, and I think that th those are the things we need to ask ourselves when we, when we feel the Spirit whispering to us, when we read something, when we hear something that sounds true um, for, from any source. And so 
So let me, let me talk about one thing I think is, 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 is kind of an interesting thing about the way God works with us. And that's that I believe, and this is just my own belief, that, that when we feel the Spirit more, that, we, that our feelings towards other people, kind of, it's, it's kind of like our heart expands. Yeah. I, b- I believe that, that the more we feel the Spirit, the more inclusive our, our love for other people is. I believe that, that the more we feel it, the more we feel like God feels towards his children, towards all of his children. And I think that's one of the things he wants us to feel. Okay. So I think that's part of it. So, so if you were to, it's like if you, if you could attain the good person's status, so to speak, what would you love? Like, give me three words you would love to feel. Say, wow, Brent is really, I'm assuming one from what you said is loving. He's really loving. I hope. Yeah. What would you say would be the qualities of somebody who's a really good person? Loving? Um, you know, I think that being a good listener is important. Oh, gosh, what are the things I hope people will say about me? Um, I don't know. I think that I think it's I think that going along with that, I guess, is that is that I I could sense that when he looked at me, he cared about me. You know, that I okay. that I am interested in each person. That I see something there that's lovable, even when it's hard to find things that are lovable sometimes. Um, I think I I know that God loves each person that he, he's created us all we're all his children and i and i believe that he wants us to look at them the way he does and that's hard sometimes okay. let's switch to the jesus question i mean okay so who's jesus and, and, and even even if you want to add in where you think we may differ or whatever i don't you know yeah. um where we're the same where where we may differ you know, we're a lot the same um you know we uh, we believe i believe that jesus really is literally the son of God, um, that, that Mary was his mother. Um, I believe that he died for us, that he atoned for our sins, um, that he offers us the opportunity to, to be with him and Heavenly Father again um, as we repent and accept him and and not just accept him <coughs> i believe that that ex, you know ex, i guess fully accepting him isn't just a single act but something that we not only do kind of over and over again mm-hmm. but that we also are obligated to to become a certain kind of person because of that it's not just accepting him and then done not just not a cognitive not, decision yeah there's no checkbox and, and done with that um, you know i think if we really have accepted him completely um, we haven't done it unless we've lived the way he wanted us to and kept his commandments, he, sa- he said in the, in the Bible. Um, hmm. And, you know, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with treating other people the way we should. I noticed the poster up here that says serve and lead. Yeah. That, that leadership has to include service. And, and discipleship has to include service. Um, so there's always going to be a service piece of it, no matter what it is. I mean, it could be large or small. You know, people in our church will be the bishop one week and teaching the three-year-olds the next week. Um, it's just part of what we do. So with Jesus again, I'm not, you don't have to evaluate them, but like the songs we just sang, would those be consistent 
with what you, not, not with what you would sing, because I know your music genre is different, but would what mm -hmm. we say in those songs be consistent? Or maybe sort of, kind of, but a little bit yeah, of difference? Mostly, yeah. I mean, okay. I, 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 I I'm not asking you to kind of dissect every word and I, verse. I didn't mean to compliment the congregation on your singing. You guys are good singers. Um, so <laughs> the th Mormon that Tabernacle was, Choir. That was great. Well, <laughs> the, you know, the Tabernacle Choir is much more serious. But, um, <laughs> but you guys, you know, you sing, with, it's fun, and, and you enjoy it. And we, we were talking with, with Stacy and Mackenzie and and about how you know we may not all be may not all be good singers, but that doesn't make any difference in church. We should all sing anyway because it's part of what we do. And so, it's part so of the, the, the theology of our songs, for the most part, you would say from your, I mean, again, limited experience right here, didn't have a chance to study and analyze the songs. You yeah, alignment. You know, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's central things that we both okay. believe in. We believe in the Jesus. We believe in the atonement. We believe we need Him. Um, one of the one of the things I thought was cool about couple of the songs actually was this sort of invitation that, that, that Jesus extends to all of us to mm. come. There's that word come in the, in the beginning huh. of that second song in particular. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, I think he's always inviting us to come, you know, and, and he will accept us and love us and embrace us and, and um, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people feel like I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I've done terrible things. Um, and I think they don't understand that he, that he, no matter what, he loves us. No matter what, he wants, invites us to, you know, this is an invitation all the time. Come and, hmm. come and, come and follow me and come and be with me and come and, come and be happy. He wants us to be happy. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but we ask it in coffee conversation. What's, uh, what's in the front end, what, what's God teaching you right now? Where's he stretching you? What's your stretch? <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure, I'm, from your point of view, what's, what do you sense God's stretching you in? Um, so I'm retiring in a month, just about a month from today. Um, so kind of a new phase in my life. Um, and part of that stretch is what am I, what, am, what next? What do I do next? Um, my mom, we just celebrated, you know, we, we just celebrated my mom's 98th birthday. Wow. Um, and she's out west. And, and I have felt for some time that that this is the time that I need to go out and spend more time with her. So my wife and I are going to leave our house with a young, penniless couple and um, go out and spend a year or so with my mom. And, I, and part, of, part of what I feel like we need to, part of the good life stuff again, um, is that we need to try and live our life so that we don't regret stuff, that we don't say, gosh, I wish I'd done that, or gosh, I'm sorry I did that. Um, but that we need to try and feel like we have done what we should have when we should have. Yeah. And, and, I th and I feel like if I, if I didn't do this, I would regret it. You know, there's this time in her life, she won't be with us a lot longer, probably. Um, and I feel like I need to be there. That's good. So that's, you know, and then I, I don't need to be with her every minute. I'll spend, you know, some time in some kind of service somewhere, and I don't know, quite know what. So. Okay. That's last question. My stretch last question. I'll give you. Short term. What? What? And I asked you this when we were having coffee at Bakehouse once. What do you? What would you want us to know about Mormons? What? What do you hope? You know? What do you want us to know about Mormons? I, if, I just wish those people would know this about us. <laughs> well, there's a lot of questions about whether Mormons are really Christians or not. I, I, I would like everyone to understand that at least we believe we are, um, and you know that we. We hold Jesus Christ to be the center of our church um, and the center of our faith. We, we promise 
to always remember him and to and to try and live a, the kind of life he would like us to live. He's he's our biggest and most important example in just about everything. We try and we try and do things the way he would like us to do it, and the way he would do it if we if we know how. Um, that's probably the first most important thing okay. I'd like people to know about Mormons. Okay. Well, thank you. Do you uh, is it okay if I take time to pray for you and your wife? Sure. That, so we, if, we, we always if you would if, for, if the extras people just kind of extend your hand like a uh, blessing and God, my prayer for Brent and for uh, Carolyn is that you bring them joy. Um, that you would uh, overwhelm them with joy that comes from you that you would fill them with abundant joy that comes from you. Even in this transition of life they're going through, helping out with his mother and all the unknowns that come from that, I pray that you would lead them down a path of joy uh, unlike uh, they've ever known before, An unexpected joy, because that's what you promised, God. You promised uh, you, would, uh, you would lead us down the path of joy. So would you lead all of us down that path of joy? And uh, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Brent. Can I say something else about yeah, yeah, this joy yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you talked about being filled with joy, and I remember once in particular thinking about the, the 23rd Psalm. And you know, there, you know, everybody knows how that goes, you know. Um, but I remember, I remember being struck once by the phrase, my cup runneth over, and just feeling, you know, there have been a number of times in my life where I've just felt like God pulled the top off of my head and poured and poured and poured. And, and it was joy. It was, it was, it was, I felt like it was a promise of things to come. Okay. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences in my life. So joy is a good thing. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. I think, uh, Brent, are you, if, if you're staying around, if you don't mind, if people may want to talk to you afterwards, if you don't mind lingering a little bit, or, um, you've already missed the rest of your turn. <laughs> okay. Hey, just, this is just a quick aside on that, and I, and I, uh, Paul Gutyar, who comes to church here, actually wrote a book on the Book of Mormon. Um, not a book about Mormonism, but on the Book of Mormon, and I asked Brent, and he said it was, he thought it was fair from their vantage point a fair treatment of the topic. It's a story about the Book of Mormon and the story of the Book of Mormon. So uh, Paul's not here this morning. He's, I think he's out of town. Oh, he is here. Uh, book signing in the back corner. Just kidding. <laughs> so uh, but Paul was asked to write this book. And again, what's that? Okay. But uh, you could even ask Paul if you want to talk to Paul about how to get a hold of his book because it gives you a little bit of information. It doesn't give the whole story of Mormonism. And Brent, you know, Brent kind of gave me his book review. What's that? Yeah, he, he didn't intend to tell the whole story of Mormon. He told, told, told the story of the book of Mormon. So uh, anyway, it's just, it's just information. So uh, thanks, Brent. Um, let me pray, and we're going to just, I'm going to do a brief, and you might think, wait, is he doing a whole sermon here? No, shorter, okay, shorter, okay, don't, let me uh, pray. God, we, uh, as we look into your word this morning, um, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that our understanding of your word is impossible without the intervention of your Holy Spirit. So we pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear 
and see, and then the courage and the grace to take those steps to become the life-giving kind of people that you've designed us to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, fill in the blank for me uh, with Jesus is blank. What, what word would you use? Just anybody, shout it out. Jesus is? Okay, I heard a bunch. Lord, salvation, love, joy, amazing, passionate, real, alive. No one said this yet, and I didn't think they would. Jesus is smart. As a matter of fact, Jesus is brilliant. I mean, here we live in an academic town, and we don't often think of that. Because what is a smart person or a brilliant person? They're someone who has the knowledge about how to, they, they have the knowledge about what is real about life and knows how to use it. It's interesting, even if you go in, the Union Building on campus, there's one place uh, by Memorial Hall where they have all these names of great thinkers. And interesting enough, the name of Jesus Christ is right there. But it's interesting that we don't often think of Jesus as being brilliant, smart. Does he know how to live life well? And so should we listen to what he has to say? Another word about Jesus, and somebody did say it. Somebody said the word amazing, I think. Jesus is amazing. And, and amazing in a certain sense of way. And the next five weeks in these short little sermons, what I'm going to be talking about, go to the next slide here, is the amazing teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why? here's why I call it amazing. The Sermon on the Mount is, uh, we don't know exactly, but the sense is it was, a, it was a, either a series of talks or could have been one unified talk or whatever. It was Jesus' talk about how to live life well. And at the end of his talk, in the end of Matthew chapter 7, it says, when he was finished, the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught like one with authority, not like the teachers of the law they'd been used to. So keep in mind, the hearers of the Sermon on the Mount were the average ordinary people like you and me. It wasn't the elite of society or religion. So these people who their whole life had been told by the religious people that they weren't good enough to live a life with God. They didn't have enough pedigree. They didn't have enough education. They did too many things wrong. So Jesus teaches them, and at the end of his talk, it says that people were amazed because there was authority in what he said. There was weight to what he was saying. So the amazing was kind of like, it was almost as if something, they, they put on glasses, and for the first time they started things and seeing things in color. It was amazing. So, uh, just a little brief thing, everybody, go to the next slide here. What we're doing, um, the, let me, the overarching part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount and even of Jesus' message. Often you hear people say we wanna, we're all about the gospel. We want to teach the gospel. We want the gospel to be known in Bloomington. But sometimes, again, getting in focus, we have to define what is the gospel. Gospel is the same word for good news. What is the good news? What is the central thing Jesus believed he was all about? And typically what we think is, at least some of us in our own backgrounds church-wise, is, well, the gospel is Jesus died for your sins and you can go to heaven after you die if you trust him. But that's not what Jesus said his mission was. Is that a true statement? Yeah, it's a true statement. But did Jesus believe that was his central mission, simply to keep you out of hell? That's what he came for? His, his mission was not simply 
to give you an admission ticket to heaven. His mission, as he stated umpteen times in the Gospels, was the kingdom of heaven is near. And that doesn't mean, again, we have to think, what do the original hearers think? What do the Jewish people, when he said that, the kingdom of heaven in their minds was, that's when life will be turned backside up again. It will be the life I've always wanted, where people are, where life is filled with joy, peace, forgiveness, mercy, goodness abounds, generosity abounds. That's what the Jewish people believed was the Messiah would come, he would turn things right again, and we would be life as it was meant to be. No more pain, no more tears, no murder, no hate, no anything. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, what these Jewish people in those crowds heard him saying was, the life with God you've always dreamed of is now accessible to you through me. That's why it blew them away. Because they'd been told their whole life by the teachers of the law, yeah, this life with God, it's way out of your reach. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough Bible knowledge. You didn't go to seminary. It's way out of reach. Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, this friendship, this conversational friendship with God that you thought was possible that could change the world, it's accessible to you. That's why the people step back and like, well, this is amazing. Nobody's told us this before. So the gospel is the kingdom of heaven is near. So how do you f live that way? So today we're going to be talking about, go to the next slide, talking about one, the first part, one part of his Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to go in order because he... Um, he, he makes his overarching statement. He says, unless your righteousness goes beyond the righteousness of the practice of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the people are like, oh, wait a minute. We have to go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees? I mean, they do everything right. They obey every single little bitty law. They go through all the religion's motions, right? So Jesus, <laughs> there's no way we can top that. Well, that's not what Jesus meant. What he meant was, unless you go past, you go deeper than, the, than the, the teachers of the religious law do. Theirs is not true spirituality. They live a life of, what, I, what I've heard me say this before, image management. So my first point this morning is to be reject image management. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Image management is when you live a religious life where your whole objective is, I want to look good. I want to behave the right ways. I want to do the right things, say the right things in the right kind of tone. I want to say God just right and Jesus. And I want to do uh, its behaviors. And the Pharisees got an A plus in religious behaviors. I go to church. I pray. When people ask me how I'm doing, I'm always saying I'm fine because I'm supposed to be fine because that's what Jesus tells me I'm supposed to be. Now stop for a second. Because if you're like me, which I'm assuming we all are human here, we all play that game. We want, we want people to think highly of us. And there's all kinds of ways in which we play this image management game. And so the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' way of teaching us, you can leave that game behind. Because that's burdensome. That's wearisome. And so the first thing he talks about, and this is the single thing we'll talk about here, the next, go to the next slide. This is about from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21 and 22. I'm just going to, let me read it straight from the text. Because he talks about anger. It's the first thing, one of the first things he addresses is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that their ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, that's a great word in the Bible, right? Idiot. 
And I'll tell you where that comes from in the scriptures. You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, idiot, the word that's used there is the Aramaic word raka. And it was the sound you make when you're about ready to spit. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, when you, call, when, when you have that kind of emotion towards someone, I mean, we don't call, maybe we use the word idiot. Sometimes we use the word fool. Sometimes we just say, you jerk. Many times you've been driving and somebody cut you off, and that's what you said because nobody in the car was there to listen to you, but you, you said it. Sometimes we add an adjective, you effing jerk. All right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Even if you have those attitudes that no one hears but you in your car, no one hears because you don't verbalize it, but when your husband or wife does this, you think, ugh, and, and something stirs in you. And Jesus said, you know, you're subject to judgment if you have those thoughts. Wow. Hope he didn't hear what I said in my, you know, the, in the car. If you call someone in, then he says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go reconcile. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is a big deal. Deal with this issue in your heart. If you, str if you have anger or contempt issues, that's what he's talking about here. And of course, we're thinking, well, how do we do that? Because here's the statement I'll make. Go to the next slide. Be ruthless about the elimination of anger and contempt in your life. Now, a couple of definitions. Ruthless. Ruthless is, is usually associated with without mercy. And what I think Jesus is saying here is, he's not saying don't be merciful yourself, but no more rationalizations. If you've got issues with contempt and anger, it's so important that you better leave church and go take care of that. It's so important that you could, you know, judgment or hell is your, in other words, Jesus is saying, it's a big deal. And you can live a life without anger and contempt. You can live that way. And some of you are thinking, well, how do you do that? But, but first of all, you have to realize Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, you, you got to be kind of, you got to be really intent on dealing with this issue. Now, anger, anger is the emotion you feel when something you want, you don't get. Anger isn't always bad. Um, but often it is because it's just, I, I want this, I didn't get it, I'm angry. And then it's usually what happens with that first rejection that we tend to nurse and kind of make it kind of, we, we add more red ink to it. And we start typing our emails in all capitals. You know. Contempt, contempt is the emotion I have when I have a condescending judgment towards somebody. If I'd be like, I can't believe what Dan just, this is Dan, I can't believe what Dan just did. I may not say that, but I'm thinking that, or I have this emotional rolling of my eyes, kind of like, oh, brother, here goes Dan again. I mean, Dan's a good guy. No. But, and again, my guess is every one of us has those kind of feelings. We don't always express it. I mean, this morning, I was in line at Starbucks, and I was a little ticked off. It's like, what? Because there was a mother in front of me with two small kids, and they were taking too long to order because I wanted my coffee. And then I remember, I actually just had to step back and think, what is wrong with me? They're, they're, it's a mother and her kids. But, so you, those are ordinary. I, what I'm saying is the things Jesus is talking about are things. He's not just talking about Bobby Knight rage. Oh! He's talking about kind of those seeds of rage that show up and kind of like, I can't believe my wife did that. I can't believe that person just cut me off in the parking lot. I can't believe my boss just told me that. So it's not, again, 
anger and being irritated something isn't so much the issue, but what you do with that and how it becomes kind of this seed and simmering. So then the question is, okay, so if I know I have that, what do I do? Okay, this this, at this point, you have two cho choices of pathways. Pathway number one, which many of us have done, and it's not unique to Christianity, every, every religion has elements of this, is labeled try harder. And then what happens? You feel worse. How many of you have, don't raise your hands, how many of you tried harder to stop having anger or contempt issues or to change the internal voices of your spirit when you're judgmental toward people? It's kind of like the, the counsel that would say if you have a problem, it's like the counselor is saying, well, then stop doing it. Well, if it was that easy to stop, we would have stopped, right? So the pathway one is try harder, feel worse. Anybody here running in the uh, mini marathon, the 500 mini marathon? Okay, Paul Kazansky, I was hoping you were being here today. I saw Paul the other day. Uh, now, I, I'm assuming here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to show up the morning of the mini marathon. He hasn't done any, any, no running so far. But he's going to go. He, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call him that morning. I'll say, Paul, try really hard. Just try really hard. They'll be scraping Paul up off the pavement. <laughs> so he doesn't try hard. I saw Paul last week training for the mini marathon. He was doing, he was engaging himself in, and he was actually running a pretty good clip, so he engaging himself in habits that put him in the situation where he could be successful at what he wants to be at. I think a lot of our own experience in the Christian life is we, we bought into the just try hard, I'm just going to try harder. Today I'm not going to be angry. Today I'm not going to be angry. Then somebody cuts you off and you're like, oh, serenity now, serenity now. I don't know what to say. But it's, no, you, we, we engage ourselves in spiritual habits. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. Could be like uh, sometimes solitude, leaving the radio off in your car, and maybe start asking God the question, hey, when I get angry, what's... What's under the hood? I mean, we're really good at seeing the check engine light and then just kind of ignoring it. But maybe you start asking as a habit to God, God, what's, under, what's underneath all that? Why do I react that way? There was a time I went for 30 days, and every morning I woke up, and, then, and I reviewed the day before, because that was one of the issues. I, I thought, how do I? And I reviewed the day before and tried to identify every, every incident where I felt like I had some kind of a burst of anger or judgment in my heart towards somebody. And it was good for me because I had to realize, you know, it happens probably more than I think. But it was good for me because you can't eliminate something you don't identify. So there's habits, you know, habits of prayer where you just quiet with God and God can tell you things. You read scripture. Sometimes scripture will, God will bring something in through scripture that will help you understand, oh, that's what's going on. But if you simply try harder you're not going to be successful at becoming the life-giving person who is free to live life without anger and contempt. Can you imagine what your life, your family, your marriage would be like if anger and contempt was totally out of the picture? Talk about joy. But it's about doing the things, walking with Jesus, being in, part of, being in fellowship with Jesus, even singing together is a habit. I tell people, well, hey, when you're in the midst of worship, if you have these random thoughts, it, it may be God. Because you're putting yourself 
like Paul with running, you're putting yourself in a situation that will prepare you for success and transformation. So whether it's prayer, reading your Bible, having times of solitude, fasting, God often speaks to those kind of things. But you have to train, not try. So stop trying. Start training. Go to the next one. And we'll finish with this. Um, and this, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans, Paul says this. Therefore, because this is part of the issue too. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Those among us who struggle with anger or contempt also struggle with a great deal of self-contempt and self-condemnation. And part of his understanding, note, that Jesus doesn't feel that way toward you. So he's saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live under that cloud anymore. That's not what Jesus thinks about you. Because through the Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Here's what that means. I'm going to pick on Dan again. Let's say Dan has an anger issue. I have no idea if he does or not. I don't see any of his friends shaking their head yes. So, okay. so the law of the spirit of death, so I'll use the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, because that's what Jesus was referring to, is even if you're angry and murdering somebody. The law of the spirit of death is you shall not murder. And if you do, somebody's going to get you. The law of the spirit of life the way it was in God intended to be and the way it's sh- spoken through Jesus is, Dan, you can now become the kind of person who will not murder. You can be that kind of person. It's not this you shall. It's no, you, you shall become this kind of person. If you follow the way of Jesus and you become his apprentice, his disciple, and do the things he said we could do, and should do so that the moment of the, when, the, when the race happens, that you're now the kind of person that is successful at living a life free of contempt and anger. Train, don't try. Let me pray. God, we are, uh, we're grateful uh, for the spirit of Jesus, and we're grateful for the life of Jesus. And uh, we're grateful even as we prepare to take communion that when Jesus laid this bread and this cup out for his disciples, he says, do this to remember me. And what we're remembering is that Jesus opened what the Bible calls this new and living way. A way that's free from the burden of trying, but we're set free because we become apprentices and disciples of Jesus, doing the things he told us to do to put us in the situation where we can become like him. And so, God, I pray that uh, we would all grow in living the freedom of contempt-free, rage-free lives. We want to be those kind of people. And, God, would you help us, show us, talk to us, tell us, tell us what we need to be doing to make steps so we can be those kind of people under your loving tender hand. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we, all, we do finish with communion every week, and uh,